welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. You guys having a good day? We survived this tropical depression. Somehow we made it through, right? We, we're here. We made it. Uh, well, I just want to welcome you, and, and I'm excited to be with you today. We're going to continue on in our series in the book of Psalms, and next week we're actually going to announce our brand new series coming up this fall, and I am very excited for the series that will be coming up. I think it's going to be an incredible opportunity for you to invite people. I think it's going to really impact you as well. It's going to be creative and a little bit different, uh, but I really do believe you won't want to miss these next couple weeks here at Bedrock. Uh, but we have uh, some incredible things going on, and like uh, Franklin said, we have a volunteer appreciation coming up, or if you're interested in jumping in and being a part of this, all of this happens with your support, right? We all, I don't run around here and do everything. Uh, I don't like set up the pipe and drape and the lights and, and run and do everything. It takes a team of people to come together to see God's mission. And here's what I really believe. I believe that if uh, you jump in and you're not using your gifting, the gifting that God's given you for his kingdom, you'll see that your spiritual life isn't quite growing. You'll see that there may be a little bit of stagnation in your life. And that has a lot to do with the fact of, of how you serve and jump in with your gifting. And so in preparation for this morning's message, I was thinking about some words kind of in our culture that really are very negative. In fact, in America, we don't like these words at all. Words like surrender or give up or accept defeat, right? To, to give in. And I don't know about you, but there are times that I have felt that way. Like there are times that I've really felt like I might need to give up or to give in. And for some of us, like that might be the best thing for you to do. Like there may be something that you're chasing and it may be the wrong thing. And if you're chasing the wrong thing, then you're going to want to give that up, right? We, we don't want to go towards the wrong thing. But so many times in our life, the enemy's going to use discouragement the enemy is going to use something to try to get us to, to miss out on what God has for us, to try to get us to kind of hit the eject button a little bit early. And as I was thinking about this, like, life can get really hard. And the enemy, his main source uh, or way to do that is to begin to discourage you. Right? He does this by lying to you and by, by, he, by beginning to, to tell you untruths and you will want to surrender and give up. In fact, a couple of years ago, we had a, a story kind of like this, and I tell everyone this. Uh, everyone wants a miracle story. Uh, they, they want the story about their life, but they don't want the miracle circumstance, right? Everyone wants the miracle, not the mess. And for so many of us, like, you don't get a miracle without the mess, right? And so we just want to be on the other side of it. I used to have testimony envy, right? I'd hear these missionaries or people from around the world, and I'd hear their stories, and I'd be like, man, I just wish I had your incredible story. I wish I had your faith, right? And, and even people have told me, man, Blake, I wish I had your testimony. You don't want my testimony because you don't want to go through the trial that I had to get through to get here. And so many times we want these stories. And so a couple of years ago, right when we were planting this church, if you don't know, planting this church and starting the church took a lot of faith, right? It took a lot of effort. It took a lot of us really beginning and pushing into what God had for us. And when we came down here, we had 
no money. We had lost a lot. And there was this morning where I was getting ready. I was in the shower and Kelsey came in and she's like, hey, our account is $225 overdrawn. And I was like, call the police. We've been like, our identity's been stolen, right? But the more and more we looked at it, what had happened is, is I had taken some money out of our savings and I was paying for school. And Kelsey thought I moved that money over to pay all the bills and we just crossed paths. And so we ended up overcharging the account $225. And I was getting ready that morning to go to a meeting to talk to someone about church planning. Right, I was going that morning like in faith to talk to this person to try to raise some money and raise some support for our church plant. And here I am, $225 overdrawn, and I'm thinking, God, like, why is this even happening to us? I mean, honestly, on the car ride to the meeting, I felt like giving up. I mean, I really thought in my mind, like, why is this happening? Like, here I am, God. I'm, I've said yes to your call. I've said yes to you. I've moved my family down here. And now this happens? Like, why is this so hard? Why, why does it have to be like this? And so I left that meeting and I went in and, and I don't know, I just, Kelsey texted me and she said, hey, give me a call when you can. And I was like, oh, great. What more bad news is there to receive this morning? And I was honestly on the verge of giving up. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times that, that I've felt that way. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're kind of in that season right now. It seems like life is piling on. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. And you just feel like giving up. Like you feel like it's just time to throw in the towel. And so I, I want you to ask yourself one of two questions. Am I called by God to this thing? If you're called by it, don't give up. If you aren't called, then maybe it will be time to do that. But here's what I want you to understand. If God has called you to something like you don't give up on your family, you don't give up on your kids. You don't give up on your spouse. You don't give up on your friends. You don't give up on your church. You don't give up on those kinds of things. But the enemy so many times will cause you to want to surrender. And right in this part of our life, Kelsey and I, I especially felt like surrender. I felt like I needed to give up. That there, there just wasn't anywhere else to go. And in the meeting, I don't know, it didn't go bad. I mean, it just didn't go great. And you know why? Because I walked in with such little faith in what we were doing. I mean, honestly, I walked in in such little faith with what we were doing because I didn't believe that, that God was working in our life. And so let me ask you a question. Where are you right now in your life? Where are you right now in the circumstance that you find yourself in, in your relationships, in your finances, in your job, in your schooling, in, in, in maybe your house, or your, maybe you're looking for a house and you feel like God's called you to do this, but it's just so expensive, so you just want to give up. You just, you're going to give in. Where are you in your life? And, and how do you and I, when we are facing unimaginable kind of circumstances, how do you and I have faith? How do we get through those moments? How do we as a church continue to believe in the midst of the hardest times that it is to be a church, right? Like we are in our getting it just through our second year as a church and a global pandemic hit. I don't know about you, but that like 
put a little bit of a crinkle in what we were trying to do, right? We had to go immediately to online. But I remember the provision of God, right? Immediately, two weeks before that happened, Cody was brought on to staff. A few months before that, John was brought on. And Cody could help us with putting things out online and could help us with with managing all of this. And I think about all of that. I mean, even think about this service, right? Like it's been up and down and we're coming through a summer, we're coming through a pandemic and Saturday night is blowing up. But this one, we're going to have to work to get this thing going. We're going to have to work together to keep moving forward. And I truly believe that we're going to see God incredibly move this year. And I have to go back to times when I feel like surrendering to what God has already done, right? I have to go back. Like there were mornings and there were times at the beginning of our church where we met in a chapel and we're going to take everyone back to where we began because so many of you haven't seen that. And there were times that I preached to 10 people in a room, including volunteers, right? It wasn't like all of a sudden we had all of these things because so many of us use external circumstances to define our calling, not our calling to define our circumstance. What if we surrendered then? What if that night when Kelsey was actually at the hospital with Scout and 10 people showed up to church? And I texted her, I took a picture, and I said, this is it. And I sat in the back of the room, and then Scout, we found out, had celiac disease that night. Like, that's what we found out. And I just felt like, what what are we doing? We launched this church with $2,500, but see, God has a different plan for you and I. God has a different way for us to move forward in this life. And so tonight, or this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 105, and we're going to see how God has a little bit of a different way for us to begin this life. And so if you have a Bible with you, open up to Psalm 105. If not, the words will be on the screen. But listen to how Psalm 105 begins this passage. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. This psalm opens up. You have to understand that they are in captivity. They are not in a good situation. Israel is in a really dark place and life is not going good. And so the psalmist opens up and says basically this. There is always a reason to praise. That's the very first part of our message tonight. When you feel like giving up, there is always a reason to praise. And worship is, for many of us, how we enter into our relationship and and into the presence of God. Worship is a catalyst for you and I to be in relationship with the Lord. Some of us, you just, you're in the darkest circumstance of your life, and all you need to do is turn your radio on and start listening to some worship music. All you need to do is look at creation and go, okay, he's here, and he's doing something. But the psalmist says, look, there's always a reason to praise. But notice how the psalmist begins to tell us. He tells us something to do. He says, look, you got to praise, and when you praise, you're going to tell the whole world of the wondrous things that God has done. You're going to start telling people your testimony. You're going to start telling people what God has done in your life. And let me just tell you something. People can argue if God exists. 
People can argue the finer points of theology. People can argue philosophy. People can argue the problem of evil, but people can never argue against your testimony. Your story is something that God has given you that no one can ever take away, ever. No one can argue with your experience. They may doubt it, but they can't tell you it didn't happen because it's your experience. And so what the psalmist says is you and I start telling the world about these wondrous things that God has done. And maybe for some of us, we need to start telling people about the Lord so we can see the wonders that he works in other people's lives and we can see people come to Christ. Maybe we'll begin to praise. Maybe we won't feel like giving up quite so much. But notice what the Bible says. It says twice in there, verses 3 and 4, to seek the Lord. That means you've got to go after him. You've got to go find him. Notice that the Lord is not hard to find because the Lord is everywhere. In theology, we have this really kind of churchy term, big term. That's what theologians like to do. We like to take kind of simple concepts about God, and we like to make them really complicated. We like to overcomplicate things. But there's these kind of three things about God. They're called God's immutable attributes. You ever heard that? Immutable attributes? These are things about God that are never changing. This is what makes God God in so many ways. And one of them is that God is omnipresent. That means that God is present everywhere. Every piece of the world in the universe, God is right now residing in that space. But not only is God omnipresent in space, God is omnipresent in time. He's there. That's why you and I can go and feel good about prophecy. That's why we can believe in the book of Revelation. We might not understand all of it, but we can believe in it. Why? Because God's already there. God is already there in our future, and he knows what's going to be happening. That's why he can say, I know the plans that I have for you. And you will prosper. For so many of us, we forget that God's out there because, let me tell you something, just like this psalm is built in a dark moment, when you're in a dark present, it's almost impossible to see the future. When your present situation is dark, it's impossible for you to see the future. And I honestly believe that that is one of the greatest tactics of the enemy right now in our world. Let's make this present moment so dark and so scary and so overwhelming that people can't even think about the future. Right? Because if you want to think about the Lord and where you're going to be, heaven, that's going to be future bound. If I have to think you, make you obsessed with the present or the past, you won't think about your need in the future. And so what happens here is, I want you to think about this, like this darkness is, is something that's so dark that that you can't see, like it's like entering in a pitch black room, right? It's like entering into a room with no light. Has anyone ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you, you're in a pitch black room? It's one of the scariest, everyone's scared of the dark people. We don't get over that, right? Because I mean, how many of you here creak in the night? You're like, oh, and you get shook, right? And then you're like, oh, Kelsey, the other night asked me, we heard like a cow out in the kitchen. She's like, what was that? I was like, it's an ice maker. It's an ice maker on the fridge. We're okay. That wasn't like Rudolph landing on the roof, right? But how many of us, when we get into a dark situation, turn towards things that really can't rescue us? Like most of us, these are really expensive flashlights, right? 
Like, that's, how many of you use your phone as a flashlight? First, raise your hand, right? Everybody, right? Because it's convenient. Have you ever noticed that these things are the worst flashlights ever created? Right? Like, if I wanted to read this Bible, I'd have to turn on my flashlight and be like, okay, let me see what's going. It finally lit up. How many of us, when we walk into a dark room, pull out our phone and turn on our flashlight, but you can't see anything, right? Because this thing, like, it's already losing brightness. It's like, I can't even see my hand in front of my face because this is weak. This isn't going to rescue you in the darkness. This isn't going to help you in the moment. And for so many of us, when we get in a dark moment, we turn to things that can never rescue us to give us comfort. Like if you're in a room that is completely pitch black, this is not going to do well. Imagine if this room was completely pitch black. This would not light up the room whatsoever. But you know what would? The light switch. The light switch would light up the entire room. And so, so many of us, we, we kind of negate our relationship with God. We don't praise the Lord because the current circumstance is so dark. So we run to things that can't really rescue us when all we need to do is turn on the light. And so what, here's what this means, is that God is omnipresent. God is in that room. God is with you in your present darkness. You only need to go and find him. Seek the Lord. But you know what's really incredible? How many of us, when we remember, like anyone ever been in a really dark room in your house, but you know where the light switch is? Do you turn on your phone to find that light switch, or do you just walk over feel the wall, find the switch, and turn it on. That's what the Christian life is meant to be all about. God is in the room with you. All you got to do is turn to him and find his power and flip it on. And so that's what the psalmist is saying. When you're in a dark moment, you need to find the light. And the way that you and I approach the light is through our praise. There's always a reason to praise. There's always something to go on. And see, what happens is that current darkness is so bad, if you watched last week's message, you would have missed this idea of turn, T-U-R-N, that the psalm that we read last week talks about this fact that you and I need to flip our perspective. But sometimes it's too dark, you can't do it. Sometimes it's just too much, and you can't make it through. So the psalmist and God has a different plan for you and I when the present moment is too dark for us. Like, you're so petrified by being in a dark, dark place, you're not even searching the walls for the light switch. Has anyone ever been there? It's like you're paralyzed by fear. You're paralyzed by what this current moment is doing to you. And so this psalm and God give us a different way of doing it. Let's take a look here, and we're going to spend the majority of our time in this part of the text, because this is huge. We're not going to put every verse up or read every verse. I'm going to explain a lot to you, but starting in verse 5, listen to what the Bible says. Remember. Everyone say, remember. remember. No, no, say it louder. Scream it at your neighbor. Remember! remember! Okay, good. I need this to stick in your head, right? Sometimes we hear truth in here, and it doesn't stick with us out there right? We hear the word of God. We hear the truth. We, we're in a dark place in our life, but a little bit of the light has been turned on in this room, but we forget the light that we saw when we go out there. So sometimes I need you to remember. I need you to take notes. I need you to write it down. Get a tattoo if you need to, right? Like remember. 
right? <laughs> Kathy's going to get a test. Remember, right across her forehead. All right, and so that's what the Bible says. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgment he has uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen one, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all of the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The words that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute. To Israel, an everlasting covenant. How many of you can just say, if God makes a promise, he's going to keep it? Let me ask you something. What has God said in your life, but because you're in a present darkness, you've forgotten what he said? You've forgotten the promise. You're in a dark room, and you're like, God's abandoned me. God's forgotten me. And God's saying, I'm right here in the room with you, and I haven't forgotten what I've told you. I haven't forgotten what I've said to you. You just need to turn the light on. You just need to remember. See, what the Bible does here is it brings in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are three incredible promises given to the people of God to these individuals, right? To Abraham, it's called the Abrahamic covenant. We see this in the book of Genesis, and it entails three things. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have a lot of descendants. I'm going to bless you when you go. My blessing will be upon you, and I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you land. And let me just tell you something. If you're part of the family of God, you're part of the Abrahamic covenant. And God is still working out the covenant that he made to Abraham. Descendants, blessing, and land. It's this incredible moment. And see, what you and I have to do, we have to remember God is faithful in the present darkness. See, sometimes if there's nothing to praise, you can't find a single thing to praise in the present. Because you can't even think about the future. Because you're so freaked out. The Bible says you've got to remember what God's done in the past. You've got to remember that he's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. God did not put these stories in the Bible so that you and I wouldn't remember. If they weren't important for us right now to understand and know and to cling to, God would not have put them in the book. This book would just be all future, all these things that we need to look forward to. But God tells us the story of what he's been doing so that when we are having an issue, we can go back and see his faithfulness. We can go back and begin to see what God is doing. See, we have to remember what he's done. He has an everlasting, forever covenant. Look at what it says. It begins now to start to tell God gave these promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is another name for Israel. He says, I've given these promises to them. And then the psalmist now is going to start telling us the history of Israel. It's going to start telling us Look at what God did in the world. Verse 12. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, talking about that land that was promised to them, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. See, in order for you and I to really begin to know this, we have to know the story of where we come from. How many of us do Ancestry.com or something like that? Anyone ever do that? It's kind of cool to know your story. My last name is made up, Harkup, made up, made up at Ellis Island. Our history goes back to that and on my dad's side. We think we found out that our original last name was Hetzko. Don't know where that's from. Sounds like Russian, 
Eastern European maybe, we don't know. All we know is that one of my ancestors got, they got a ticket to get on a boat. They came from Warsaw, they got on a boat, they came to America, they settled in Brooklyn, New York. I so wish I knew some of the past because some of us, we find a lot of strength in knowing that our ancestors did some incredible things, right? Well, how many of us need to now look back at our spiritual ancestry? Say, we're part of the family of God. We are part of true Israel if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And our family history has an incredible story. And you can read the story right here. And sometimes we need to remember how our Father in heaven has treated us as a people in the past. And that's exactly what goes on here in this psalm. But see, what we have to understand is that we need to remember that God is faithful. So we're going to look at five promises to God's faithfulness today. Right here in this passage, we're going to see that there's five promises in God's faithfulness. And this psalmist is going to go through each of them. And the very first one is so incredible. It's right here in verse 14 and 15. Look at what the Bible says. They were these people wandering in the land that God had promised them. But look at what God does for them. Look at how faithful God is to the nation in the moment. He allowed no one to oppress them. God, even though they were wandering, they were in the land, but God would not allow anyone to oppress them. From one kingdom to another, right? Like wherever they went, they would not be oppressed. Verse 14, he rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. The very first promise that we find in God's faithfulness is protection. Protection. And how many of us just need to hear that right now? Like where you are in your present darkness, where you are in your present moment, God has a promise for you. Remember it. And if you can't, remember what God has always done to his people. He's protected them. He's taken care of them. Right? They were not crushed. They did not get annihilated in the land. Now, they still faced wandering. They still faced desert experiences, but they were protected. And you, as his child, are protected. You are able to move forward because God has you. But not only do you have protection, the Bible goes on here to say this incredible story. Look at what verse 16 says. When he summoned a famine on the land. A famine is everything was shut off. There was no food in the land. There was a problem. And if you know anything, the kind of the land that Israel was promised was from the Mediterranean kind of to where modern day Iraq is. Iran, Iraq, it kind of went over that way. So that part of the land, there's a famine. And when you're a wandering nation who doesn't have cities and doesn't have a lot going on, you've got a lot of big problems, right? Your present becomes really dark when you don't have food. And that's exactly what happens in this story. But you might be familiar with what happens next. God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread. He had sent a man ahead of them. Everyone say that. He had sent a man ahead of them. That's so important. I want you to understand that. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. That's kind of weird, is it not? The man who was sold into slavery was the one who was sent ahead. That might mean that God might have something in your past that you don't understand why it's there, but it's there because God's going to use it for a purpose. See, your pain will always be pain until it finds purpose. I'm sure that Joseph felt a lot of pain when he was in jail. I'm sure he felt a lot of pain when his brothers sold him into slavery. I'm sure he felt a lot of pain when he was completely abandoned. And I'm sure he had some questions with God while he was sitting in a jail cell. 
So he's sold into slavery. When he, sent, he summoned this famine, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, and the ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and the ruler of all his possessions. Look at what he says. He says, not only do you need to look at Joseph's life, you need to see God's faithfulness there. Because Joseph is sold into slavery, but God gave him a gift. And Joseph might not have seen the gift in his present darkness, but God had a purpose for his gift to interpret dreams. And when he interpreted dreams, he was taken out of the jail and he becomes second highest in the nation of Egypt. Second highest in the nation of Egypt. So we can look at Joseph's life and go, man, look at the faithfulness of God towards Joseph. But notice Joseph is part of our story. Because what did the Bible say in verse 17? That God had sent a man before the nation. Joseph, who was sold into slavery. See, the second promise is preparation. God is always preparing your future. God is always moving ahead of you and preparing where you're headed. So in this present darkness, you might not see it, but Joseph was used by God to prepare the way for Israel to come into the land. If you know the story, what happens is, is the famine causes Joseph's brothers to travel from their land to go to Egypt to find food. And when they do that, Joseph is there and they're giving out grain and he recognizes his brothers. And he approaches them and they freak out. They think, oh man, he's going to kill us for sure. But the Lord had worked in Joseph's heart. And what ends up happening is, is the entire nation through this story makes their way into Egypt. They're saved from their present darkness because God prepared a way. Do we not know a story of one who has gone before us to prepare a way for us? Isn't Jesus the one who went and prepared a way for you and I to go to heaven? Isn't Jesus the one who paved the way and prepared a way for you and I to be in relationship with God? Isn't he our preparation? God's been telling this story that there will be protection and there will be preparation for you. And so in this present darkness, know and believe that God is protecting you. Whatever's in that dark room won't kill you because if you're not dead, God's not done. So there's protection. Let me just tell you this. You can never go home too early. There's a pastor I really like. His name's Matt Chandler, and he travels a lot, and his wife always tells him, um, be sure to wear your seatbelt on the airplane. And he looks at her, and he's like, I, I will, but... I don't know what a lot of good it's going to do if, like, we're going down in a 747. You're just strapping me to my death machine, right? Like, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. But let me just tell you something. If it's not your time to go, you're invincible. You're untouchable because God's protection is there and his preparation is for your future. And there's not a future that you will never get to if God has not planned it. If God's planned it, you're going to get there. Faithfulness. God, if he said it and willed it and promised it to you, don't lose it in the darkness. He's just preparing the way. How many of us would have thought that through the slavery of a son that all of a sudden there'd be food for the whole nation? But God was preparing a way. And let me just tell you something. Maybe the current trial you find yourself in is because God wants to use you as preparation for others. Maybe the pain in your life exists there. 
because God wants to use that as preparation for other people. And so he goes into the land, but then there's this incredible aspect to the story, and I'm going to just read a few verses in this story, but, but we're going to go through it quickly, but look at what it says. Verse 23, then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful. Say very fruitful. Say it again, very fruitful. That means things were really good, right? Like, if, if things are producing a lot of fruit, they're healthy and they're good. We would say this, they're prospering. That's the third promise of God's faithfulness. You'll have th- this, this uh, idea of protection, and when you have protection, you'll have preparation, and when you have protection and preparation, you'll have prosperity. This isn't the kind of prosperity, though, that you and I think about all of the time. Right, the Bible goes into says the nation was incredibly blessed. They grew, but they didn't grow in gold and silver and these things. They were slaves to Egypt, but they grew in number and they grew in favor. So many of us think that our prosperity is built upon our financial issues. But can I just tell you something? Like, let's just get into giving for just a second because I think some of us need a little bit of freedom. See, some of us give because we believe in this prosperity thing. If we give, God will give us more, so we will give. Giving's not about the amount, it's about the heart. I've heard people say, if I made a million dollars, I for sure would give. If I made a hundred dollars, what am I going to do? You think it's easier to give a hundred thousand dollars than it is to give ten? You, oh, that's a, cho- that's a check you're going to just, oh, hundred grand, here we go. If you have not been faithful in the little, you will not be faithful in the big. But here's the thing. God is not prospering you in the way of, if you give to me, I'm going to just pile on more. He might, because he can see that he can trust you. But you know what the real prosperity about giving is? Is giving is a form of worship. And when you worship one thing over another, you experience freedom from the thing that's controlling you. See, some of you need to give because you need freedom from the love of money. That's what God is doing. God's saying, give. does God need your money? No. Not, no. He has no physical need. God doesn't need to go to the grocery store. God can accomplish all of this, all of this without your money. But we would be robbing you of the blessing of the freedom from the love of money if we didn't call you to give. And God commands that we give. So we'll be unfaithful to the Bible if we don't do this. But here's the deal. It's not so that we can all drive Ferraris and so we can buy new buildings, although I hope we do in the future because I want to do ministry 24-7 out of it. What if we went back to when the church was open 24 hours a day? What if in the darkest moments of people's life we were a beacon of light in the middle of the city where they could come to at any time? What if we were that preparation? What if we were that protection? What What if we were those things in the middle of the darkest moments? What if we were there to help people prosper? And prosper might mean not dying. Right? Has anyone ever thought that, that sometimes prospering is just living? God wants us to live an abundant life. I believe that fully and wholly, but sometimes an abundant life looks a lot like not dealing with these really hard things. So maybe we just need to take a new perspective on our giving. Our prosperity is not that we have more money to give, it's that we're more free from the love of money. Could you... I mean, imagine what your life might be like if every decision that you made wasn't based upon finances, but faith. 
Gosh, we started the church with $2,500. $2,500 we started the church with. But you know what grew out of that? Innovation and belief. Like, if God's going to do it, he's going to do it. And I believe we've prospered more as a church than we could have with $100,000 because God's grown a big faith at this church. God's grown us the cause to believe. And so there is prosperity. And notice what happens in this story. The, immediately after this verse where God grew them up, look at verse 25. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. Your prosperity may cause others to hate you. And that's why you're going to need preparation, and that's why you're going to need protection. I always say this, they hate us because they ain't us, right? Some of you, like, they just hate you because you have nice things. And I'm not saying it's bad to have nice things. You can own them. They just can't own you, right? Like, you, your self-esteem and who you are and your identity can't be, in the badge, be built in the badge of the car that you drive. Is it bad to have nice badges on the front of your car? Not at all. Have a nice car. I like it. Give me a ride. Okay. But here's the deal. That can't be who you are right? That can't be your identity. And so what happens here is the psalmist begins to tell the story of how God brought Israel out of Egypt. This is the story of Moses and of Aaron, right? And the 10 plagues that come across the, the nation of Egypt to free the people. And how many of us need to know Israel was unharmed in the midst of the darkest days Egypt have ever experienced. There's protection, there's preparation, and there's provision, and there's prosperity in the darkness, some of us need to realize that, that the true prosperity of Israel was not in what they had, but who they had. Who was protecting them? Who was guiding them? And who was directing them? But not only that, when God freed them from Egypt, we do see something. We see provision. Look at verse 37 to 42. Look what the Bible says. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. And there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they had departed, for dread on them had fallen upon it. And then look at what the Bible says. He spread a cloud for covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail, and he gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. Not only do we need to remember, but God remembers his promise. Notice what happened. They had prosperity because they thrived in the land, but they had provision when they went out of it. Yes, they had gold and silver, but you know what? There are nomadic people who are going to be walking around this desert for 40 years. The real kind of prosperity and provision that they have is while they're walking in a desert, there's a cloud following them, covering them. Anyone ever been in the Florida sun during the middle of summer? How many of you are looking for a cloud? You're looking for some shade, right? And so while they were wandering in the wilderness, God gave them a cloud, and they were disobedient. That's why they're in the wilderness. And he gives them a cloud. And then they get hungry. And at night, while they're freaked out, how many of you can't walk through the night? God gives them the eternal fire. Like, right, like fire comes from heaven. It's the best nightlight you've ever seen. And all those things that go bump in the night that scared you are scared of the fire. And so you're protected. And there's provision. And there's preparation. But not only that, they get hungry. And I don't know about you because there's no trees and no grass in the middle of a desert. God sends quail. People pay a lot of money to kill quail right now and eat quail. God gives it to them in the desert. 
And not only that, they get hungry, they need some bread, they need some carbohydrates, right? So God brings it from heaven. And how many of you know you get thirsty in the desert? So what does he do? From the last place you're ever going to get water, water comes. How many of you have been squeezing rocks lately and water comes out? Right? Like you're like, oh, oh, and then water just, you're like, oh man, I'm so strong. I want you to think about this. God's provision came from the most unlikely places. See, some of us are looking with this little flashlight for God's provision, and you're looking in all the wrong places. Because so many times God's provision looks so different. But in all of this, so there is provision, there's prosperity, there's protection, there's preparation, there's all of these things. But the most important promise of God's faithfulness is his presence. Everywhere that the people went, there was presence. Everywhere that they went, he was with them. And for so many of us, that's exactly what you need to understand. He didn't just make this promise of anything, of all of these things. Everywhere that they went, he was with them. And he's with you in your dark moment right now. You may be in a desert, but there's a cloud of covering. There's everything that you need to survive and prosper coming from him right now. It might not come from the place that you think it should. It might not come in the way that you, it might not come in a million dollar check in the mail, but it might come from someone providing a meal from you from this church. It but might be your mechanic giving you a 30% discount on your stuff. It might be the fact that there's rent relief right now. I don't know what God's provision is for you right now in your darkest moment. Maybe God's provision is the courage to end that relationship. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe God's provision is the clarity that you need, you know what you need to do right now. And maybe it's just the storm's too big and it's too much and you can't get through and God's presence will carry you. But all of this leads us to this last point. See, the psalm ends with this. The psalm goes and goes, when there's nothing to praise in the present, there always is, by the way. But when there's nothing that you can find in the present, you certainly can't look to the future. You need to remember the past. You need to remember what God has done. And that should fuel your faith and should lighten your current circumstance. You know what remembering is like? It's like you going into the room that's completely dark, but you've been there before. And so you know exactly where the light switch is. So no longer are you looking for things that can't satisfy you to help you. You're going to just go to the one thing that can do it. and You're going to turn on the switch. And all of a sudden, your present darkness won't be so scary because you've turned the light on. So we talked about this idea of giving up. Don't be in the middle of your darkness. Don't be in the middle of your darkness and cower down and kneel down and lie flat and be overwhelmed. Seek him, praise him, find him, remember him. And what you'll realize is, is exactly what is remembered at the end of this psalm. It's this incredible thing. See, the greater the trial, the greater the triumph. And that's exactly where the psalmist goes. He talks about all of these things that happen. He spread this cloud and he did all of these things. And look at what the Bible says. Verse 42, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy. Oh, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations and he, they took possession of the fruit 
of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. There's always a reason to praise. Sometimes the memory of what God has done will get us there. Sometimes the memory and remembering what God has done will, will move us forward. And so I end with this. See, because the trial was so great for Israel as a nation, when they got to the promised land and they entered into it and Moses had died, remember the story, and they go into the promised land, there was praise. They were in the land of milk and honey. But they had to remember and endure so much. So that story I started off with has a different ending. I didn't just end the day being at a breakfast and super discouraged and ready to quit. So during that meeting, I got a text message. And that text message read, hey, uh, call me. So this was Kelsey. And she said, call me real quick. So uh, I did. And I was like, what is it? And she said, see, there's a backstory. I forgot to tell you. I didn't remember. The backstory is, is Kelsey's an incredible photographer. She'll tell you that she's not, but she's a liar. She is. And so she had just shot photos for these restaurants here in town of their plates and their food, right? And actually those photos made it into a national competition for these people who set plates and all the silverware and stuff like that. And actually they won because of her photos. So she's a really good photographer. She can make me look good in pictures. And so what happens here is Kelsey did these three, like shot for these three restaurants. And the reason Kelsey wanted me to call her is because the guy who we shot all the photos for, who she thought shot all the photos for, called Kelsey and said, hey, listen, you undercharged me for all three of those photo shoots. How many of you know that there is protection and there is provision and there is preparation in that moment and there is prosperity in that moment? And we saw God's faithfulness because how many business owners call you and said, you undercharged me for your services? And he said, you, I, you know what? I owe you 75 more dollars per photo shoot. And so I, I like got on the phone. I was like, what? And I was like, okay. So I started immediately typing, retyping the invoice so we could send it. But if you remember at the beginning of the story, how many, how much were we overdrawn in our account? $225. What's 75 times three? Some of y'all get out your iPhone. You can't hit your, you're, you're passing out the math, right? I'll just help you. Three times 75 is 225. We were in a present dark moment and we needed a miracle because $225 then was enough to sink the ship. It really was. Because we were planting this church in faith and all of a sudden I had forgotten that God had called us and that where God's call is, is his faithfulness. And so Kelsey and I experienced God's protection because we didn't miss a beat. There wasn't a meal, a, a place to live that we missed. We experienced God's preparation because God was working on them before we knew what he was doing. See, we were in the darkness. We were 225 down. He was preparing a way for us through other people. And not only that, there was prosperity, right? We had everything that we needed. We had everything that that. that our family needed. We grew. We moved forward. And there was provision. The money came in. Now, it wasn't a million dollars, but it was 225. It met our exact need. We just got back to flat. But how many of you know when you're down, getting back to flat feels real good? And not only that, Kelsey and I experienced probably more than ever God's presence. Because we were reminded 
that he's faithful to those who he calls. And if you're part of God's family, he's called you. He's called you. He's called you to a beautiful, wonderful inheritance. And he has not forgotten. And he has not forgotten you. And so now when there's days when I'm not sure that the church is going to move forward or we're worried about this or we're told we got to leave this place and move to a new place or when our kids get celiac disease or like when we have to change schools. And so how are we going to pay for our kids to go to school because we moved our kids to a private Christian school, which is $9,000 a year? How is that going to happen? But we believe that God's called us to send our kids there. You know what happened? A scholarship came through. All three of our kids are on full scholarship to go to this school. Not by the school, but by the state. God's provision came from a weird place. A place that I wasn't expecting, but it was there. 